Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What is an empath? How can an empath or psychic help people who have had <coughs> excuse me, negative UFO or alien experiences? What's it like when they themselves have such experiences? Hello and welcome to the 834th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben. And those sympathetic questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. Uh, Today we bring you a seldom-discussed aspect of the UFO field. We welcome your calls today. The number is 401-766-1240. That's from anywhere, anywhere, I should say. Or email paul at behindtheparanormal.com, or you can contact us via uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Joining us in studio today are two prominent New England researchers and experiencers who have appeared on the show a number of times on live panels uh, that we've done from New Hampshire during various UFO festivals, but this is the first time they've appeared on the show without 20 other people. So I'll let let you introduce yourselves. Uh, Valerie? Yes, um, hi, I'm Valerie LaFasso. I am an empathic medium, an author, um, researcher, investigator, Reiki master teacher, kind of dabble in a little bit. A lot of, of things I can't pronounce. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Mike Stevens and, as well. And Yeah, I'm Mike Stevens. Um, I'm an experiencer. I've been most of my life, and I um, facilitate groups and support systems for people who have had um, encounters. Fair enough. So welcome back to Behind the Paranormal, especially individually rather than on a panel of like 50,000 people. Yeah, thank you. It's it's nice for us to be here with just the two of you because it's very, <laughs> yes. you know, Mike is a reluctant empath as well and, you know, doesn't talk a lot about that side of it for him. But being empaths, when we're in a crowd, it's hard for us to step forward mm. and really speak up, you know, maybe when we should. So it's, well, it's really good to be the here. The panels uh, you've been on are all posted on uh, various podcast platforms and people can... Uh, See how we've sometimes had to draw you out. Yes. <laughs> I thought you were shy, but you're very good at it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Ah, yeah, you know he's a he's a friend a friendly guy. So, kind of on that subject, Valerie, let us first define what is an empath. Um, so it's challenging to define it, but generally, um, an empath is um, a person who feels the energy of people, living and dead, um, land, plants, animals, pretty much anything that gives off energy an empath can pick up on. Um, And, you know, a lot of people might pick up on that energy and be like, oh, I'm an empath. But it's really about how it affects us. Um, It, You know, we can get sick if we're around people who are sick, you know, feel the same symptoms as them, um, that sort of thing. Um, So we really, you know, we kind of take it on often too much. Um, So that's that's one of the important aspects of being an empath. Mm Mm-hmm. And is there, this is going to sound like a very weird question, so pardon my ignorance, is no there a way to sort of control sort of how, how, you, how empathic you can be at a certain point in time? There's definitely ways to manage it. Mm. Um, I, I don't want to say control, but you can definitely manage it. Um, you know, I run an empath support group. Um, right now we meet at um, a library in Epping, New Hampshire, on the first Tuesday of the month. And I talk a lot with the people who come in about um, keeping yourself filled up energetically. Um, that's very important for empaths. You know, we all have an energy level. And empaths tend to get drained a lot easier than, you know, maybe your average person, you know, because we're feeling everything and it's taking our energy from us. Um, You know, being in crowded spaces, um, uncomfortable situations will drain us. So keeping that energy level filled up 
Um, and to do that, you need to have things in your life that really fill you with joy. Mm. Um, for me, it's writing, it's being out in nature, hiking, you know, spending time with my daughter, just reading a book, you know, that type of thing fills me up. Um, so that's very, very important for empaths. So that's mm. one, of, one of my top things for managing and, uh, it. Okay, M- Mike, uh, what, what have you to say about this um, in your own path as an empath? Well, you know, you say. it wasn't until I had met Val that I think I'd even heard the term and, you know, um, and I've tried to stay away from it because, you know, that's a little, I get, I'm fine being, you know, the experiencer, the UFO guy. I don't want to be the soft little empath. So, but over the years, you know, she's kind of brought me in and we, you know, tease each other about being reluctant about it. Um, you know, I think she covered most of it for me personally. I like the first time I really remember I was little and I was at a fair and we were looking at the pigs and there was this one little runt pig that, you know, he was hurt and it, it couldn't get in, couldn't eat. And like just how bad I felt like anybody, you, you just think, Oh, I like animals, you know, but you don't realize like how much you take that on. And the, like the biggest, like over the top experience I, I had one day, I was just driving down the road and all of a sudden I was fine, you know, window down, music on. And I just burst into tears, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? And then I went around the corner, and there was a cemetery with a funeral going on. It was like, oh, all right, that's, you know. So it's, yes, things like that, you just take on the energy, and unless you're aware that that's what's going on, it can be difficult at times. Yeah. Now, I remember an old Star Trek episode. Now, uh, here I am, a kid, about 100 years ago, and I'm watching on black and white TV, uh, (laughs) Captain Kirk, and uh, they had somebody on the Enterprise who was an empath. And she would, um, I forgot what she was doing there, but she, but she would, uh, you know, take upon herself other people's e- even injuries. Uh, and it wasn't just about feeling. Uh, how accurate is, is that? I understand there are physical empaths who can do yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm very much an, an emotional empath, and my daughter, who's 17, is very much a physical empath, you know, not just taking on physical um physical pains from other people but when she is processing her own stuff it manifests physically where for me it manifests emotionally you know there's a whole spectrum even with being an empath you know on that in that sense but you know i think taking on somebody else's injury you know i definitely see empaths doing that probably not quite the same way it was done on tv i'm sure it was you know a little bit dramatized but somewhat yes. um you know and it's something that we have to be careful about because a lot of times we do it without realizing that's what we're doing and we can harm ourselves that way you know we drain ourselves and um you know it's not always necessary for us to take on other people's stuff sometimes it is and it you know knowing the difference between when to take it on and when not to is is challenging. Hmm. So, Mike, tell us about your experience. What happened to you, and how did you come to work with Valerie? Um. So, whatever you feel comfortable. Yeah. If, if you <laughs> yeah. I mean, we care. The nutshell version. The, yeah. The, <laughs> the very short version is it started or the. Uh, <laughs> hey, stay out of this, Chewbacca. <laughs> stay out of this. Um. I was about three years old um, at my grandmother's house in Southampton, New Hampshire, and somehow I found myself called outside. I got outside. My cousin was there with me, and then from the woods behind my grandmother's house, uh, this craft emerged, just, you know, typical saucer disc-shaped object 
rose above the tree line and made its way over to us uh, near the driveway. And, you know, it stayed there for a little bit. I had a big gap in my memory, and the next thing I remember, this object's at the other end of the driveway above a telephone pole and shoots off into space. And then it's it's just been ongoing over the years, different, you know, demeanors and types of experiences and that sort of thing. So at some point I kind of figured out that nobody was going to do anything. Nobody could fix this. I had to come to terms with it myself. So... That's kind of how I got involved with the paranormal group and stuff, and that's how I ended up meeting Val, and, you know, we've been working together on various things since, and, you know, as we've been doing that, we started kind of, you know, seeing the crossover that, you know, not all empaths are experiencers, but almost the opposite is true, that almost all experiencers are our empath. Really? Mm. Yeah, we had a, a support group meeting one time and there was probably 15 or more people in the room and we asked, okay, you know, everybody was experiences who was there and we said, all right, who believes they are an empath and everybody raised their hand. Why that do you was think that fascinating. is? You know, I'm not really sure and it's something I would love to dig more into at some point. You know, I don't know if, if it's to help, um, help our our world um you know i believe that the best way to heal this crazy world that we're living in right now is through empathy and empaths can teach other people empathy you're not teaching them to be an empath but you're teaching them how to put themselves into somebody else's shoes you know if you think about if everybody who was about to commit some sort of act against somebody else if they stopped and put themselves into that person's shoes in a real way to see how it would affect them before they did it they might not do it um that's really profound so uh, very th- true that's that's my hope yeah is that that's why you know we're here to to help help them help us that gets into a little bit about what we talked about, the unity with the capital U, one of the terms that we use <clears throat> and that, that may be approaching it from a little bit different angle, but it's the same thing, uh, the realization that we are each other like yeah. in a very literal way, you know, and that the whole individual thing can be very destructive. It can be positive or it can be negative. So, but, so we're getting into what we had hoped to get into, which was the, uh, the UFO empath connection. Now, uh, we have a question from, now I don't know if you want to go this far, but we have a question from a, a very faithful listener in Bogota, Colombia. Uh, ben, if you would. Ah, uh, yes. Peter. Peter, yes. So Peter writes to us, uh, can you please ask Valerie and Mike um, if they could please relate a specific close encounter that uh, I, either of you have had where you saw an entity which did not appear human? And I would add to that, if, if I may, Peter, <laughs> Do you feel, would the empathy extend to all life forms? Yes. Okay, so. Yeah, I, you know, and just to build on that question first real quick, I used to be completely petrified of spiders. Like, I actually had a very small spider make me cry one time when it fell from my ceiling and landed, you know, stopped about, you know, three feet in front of my face. Yeah, you do um, that. And now I save them from my apartment because I've, you know, I've learned to respect that everything has a right to live and I'm not necessarily just because I'm bigger doesn't mean I should kill it um so so that has changed me a lot but um um I've encountered a lot of what I would consider non-human entities um I did have my own encounter when I was four with my father that I believe has to do with 
both he and I being empaths. Um, but as a medium, I encounter them intuitively as well. Um, and I've seen a lot of different, what I guess we would call species. Um, you know, I've seen the typical greys. I've seen mantis. Um, I think one of the most impressive that I've seen is the, I, I think they're called lion people. Um, uh, yes, that was, we've had experiences with them too. Yeah. I, 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 did we invent the term or did someone else? I don't know. Interesting. Well, we can't put patents on stuff. So. No, 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 of course not. No, no, this is all... <clears throat> no, I, I think that's, you know, there there is a, an entity that other people have, you know, experienced that has something to do with Orion, and there's an association with Egyptians and, and that sort of thing there. Mm. Um, I think those are probably my favorite to yeah. encounter. I know we're here to talk about you, but I, I came up, we had a, at our old... Uh, <clears throat> woodland home in Cumberland, Rhode Island, just south of here. Uh, we had I called it the Lodge, and I built it myself, a little, little building, and I go in there for meditation and prayer. And I came out one night, and there was one of the lion people, for, for lack of a better term, standing there, a very whitish, looked at me with the most beautiful eyes, turned and walked, and, and th- this particular one had uh, like a horse with the face of a lion, more or less, and walk, I could hear the footfalls in the in the leaves as if it was a, like a real creature. Wow! And I'm not the sort of person who usually sees things, but holy criminy! I mean, this was just uh, amazing. This is many years ago, <clears throat> and since we've seen photographs of them, and they've been uh, they're very uh, kind and helpful and compassionate species uh, who apparently live in worlds that where the laws of physics are such that they're aware of. Poor slob, you know, clods like us who need help now and then, kind of thing. Yeah, the first time I actually encountered them was doing the. I can only describe it as an exorcism. There was a, a person who had another soul taken inside of her, and she wouldn't release him. It was kind of like a reverse possession. <laughs> she she hmm. trapped the the soul instead of it um, attaching itself to her. But I was helping out as one of four mediums helping out with that and I was there to hold the space of the room that's one of my specialties is working with the energy of spaces and they came in and there was one at each corner of the room just guarding things making sure nothing else came in while this entity you know inside this person was being extracted yeah it's always corners interesting yeah the, the, the spatial relationships between us and other realities or entities at times can be very strange Sometimes they're up by the ceiling, and you know. Mm-hmm. So was, before they send the men of the white, in the white coast to the studio uh, here <laughs> today, um, <clears throat> I would ask: Have you ever worked with the clerics? We call them the clerics. Very, very tall, very, very thin, usually hooded. Also, really, really good eggs, like the uh, lion people. Um, possibly, actually, that that actually sounds like one of my spirit guides. Well, we have uh, some photographs uh, yeah. here and there of that, you know. I, I don't know that I've ever asked, you know, what she came from, but yeah. that sounds So let's take a step similar. back. Yeah, so okay. um, <laughs> quickly. So empathy, can it be learned or is it inherent? Empathy can definitely be learned. Mm-hmm. You can definitely learn to be empathetic. I think everybody has the capacity to be empathetic, um, you know, Maybe not sociopaths. I don't know. <laughs> you know, but I think generally everybody has the capacity to be empathetic. It's it's really well, just a matter of. Hmm? I hope not sociopath. Well, there's still well, an argument as to like you know what makes 
a sociopath? Is is it something neurological? Is there something brain chemistry that you know you just don't form bonds with other humans? You know, that's that's kind of a deeper question that I can't answer because I am not a neurologist nor a psychologist. <laughs> yeah. But you know, if the, if that's if that's the case, you know, there there are sort of there is anecdotal evidence that you know people who are sociopaths, quote unquote. Are not all horrible axe murderers or you know no, soulless? Sorry to interrupt. No, that's okay. Um, no, and I, I agree with you know what Ben was saying, and and I think a lot of sociopaths even can show that they know how to put themselves into other people's shoes, but it's allowing ourselves to make then the right choice off of that, and I think that's maybe where the difference comes in is mm. choosing to to act in kindness and love and compassion on that empathy, mm-hmm. you know, because we can put ourselves in other people's shoes and know we're going to hurt somebody and do it anyway. That's mm-hmm. a choice. Well, we um, have questions barreling in here. Uh, ver- uh, excuse me, Shane Searway, who uh, our uh, dear friend of all of us here and uh, our favorite guest co-host on the show, uh, writes, uh, I am extremely empathetic. I never knew that. I've known him for tw- going on 25 <laughs> years. <laughs> <clears throat> Don't tell me anything, Shane. Um, tell Mike and Val I said hello and send my best, okay? Um, Hi, Shane. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, a lot of these are, are dear friends. of we, we consider ourselves part of the Portsmouth, New Hampshire area community because we're simply always we, there. We basically yeah. live we, there. And we consider you part of the Yeah, we have so, so many well. wonderful friends <laughs> like, like you two. And, uh, okay, we have uh, also here, here's Michelle Mitchell. Greetings from New Hampshire. Hi, Michelle. Yeah. Uh, just tuned in. Please tell everyone I said hello. Have a great show. Okay, well, very good. Mm-hmm. And that, now to the nitty-gritty. We have a question from Phil in Orange, Massachusetts. Uh, Phil always sends in wonderful questions. Mm. So Phil writes to us, uh, greetings, Paul. I would like to know if, as experienced... Uh, nobody else, just me. Yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> hey, you know. <laughs> All right. You're the man with the bow tie here. Right. Um, I would like to know if, as experiencers, your guests have ever sensed that their abductors are totally devoid of emotions or feeling. Uh, there's a little bit more to it, but we can probably start there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a common misperception that they don't. Um, I don't think they experience it the same um, way we do. And I think that probably ties into why there's this connection between experiencers and empaths. I think they have an idea of um, you know how our emotions work, but om- only like if you read a book. If you read a book on gardening, gardening, you would understand what gardening is. But until you put your hands in the dirt, you don't experience it. So if you're trying to learn about emotions and the- understand it the way we as humans do, it-, it makes sense that you would go to the people who feel it the most, the empaths. Mm, yeah, I suppose it. Yeah. I suppose it makes sense. I, um, and I would agree with that. I, you know, everything I've encountered has emotions of some kind. Um, and yeah, it can be different from how we experience it. But they're different beings. You know, we we don't quite understand their physicality, or you know, exactly if they are even physical. So it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so Phil goes on um, to say. Uh, I asked I asked because uh, many of these creatures are sometimes considered to be manufactured androids performing missions and nothing more. Uh, if I I also have wondered if when creatures say don't be afraid they're just responding the way that they're programmed to respond. Conversely, there are also a couple of stories uh, about captured aliens who telepathically transmit fear. So it's just kind of kind of some some sort of anecdotal stuff to to keep you know 
kind of go along with the question itself, which I suppose you know kind of brings up the question um, as 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 experiencers yourselves. Um, why is it, or or at least um, I'm trying I'm trying to think of a good way to put this, uh, but I'll I'll sort of keep it surface level for now. Um, with with the experiences that have been had, are a majority of them negative, positive, or is it a mix of both? It's hard to say because we don't know their intentions. We only know our reactions. Um, how we view it is very much what decides whether it's positive or negative. Um, most people, it can be truly terrifying, it can be traumatic, but most people get to a point where there's a component, like that's more the physical stuff that just for whatever reason it's happening, it's happening. But there seems to be more of a spiritual transformation later down the line that people seem to appreciate. Um, So it's a little bit of everything, I think. Yeah, I would agree. Um, From what I've seen and and heard from other experiencers that a lot of times at first it does seem terrifying to them, you know, and I I like to use the analogy of, you know, uh, somebody pulling a fish out of the water, you know, that that fish is, you know, being yanked from its world, doesn't know what's happening, and we're not trying to hurt it necessarily unless we're going to eat it, but, (laughs) um, you know, if... You know, we're taking it out, we're looking at it, we're studying it, maybe putting a tag on it and putting it back in the water. Our intentions are good. We think we're not hurting it, but do we really know? You know, do we really understand what's going on inside of them? Mm. Um, well, th- this brings up a number of issues about, <clears throat> I suppose you could call it ontology. I mean, what, what we're really dealing with and what what it really is, agendas and things of this kind. Now, you've heard, you've sat through probably a couple hundred of our lectures and you heard us going on about labels. Uh, you know, we, we put labels on things according to our understanding of what it would be, but the reality might be something entirely uh, deeper or, or even different. So, does empathy help you get to the bottom of what you're really dealing with? And, you know, one of the one questions we always ask is, how do you know what you're really talking to? How do you know if you should believe what it says? How do you even communicate with them? I've run into all kinds of, of entities that don't speak English or, or don't, aren't even verbal, and you know you run into these things. I mean, how do you deal with that? I mean, is uh, um, how do you know you're not putting your own labels on something and not interpreting what it really wants or is? Or yeah, that's actually do? a great question. Um, you know, and I think as an empath, we have the ability to get to the core. Empaths tend to see the core of everybody living dead otherwise at least that's my experience um and you know as a as a quick um example and this isn't et related but i was training um my intuition i was working with a medium we were on an investigation she's one of those mediums that sees the ghost standing there talking to her she can describe it it's clear as a bell you know very envious because it doesn't quite work that way for me (laughs) so i'm trying to learn from her and i'm you know following her around and we're we're in um, a basement where um, a uh, you know 120 pound Rottweiler got cornered by something and had to be carried out by the owner. Um, so she encounters a little boy and she's describing this little boy and he's so sad. His mom was horrible to him. She called him a little demon and beat him and all this this horrible sob story. And at the time, you know, I had a, a daughter. I still have a daughter, but she was much younger then. So I, you know, I'm I'm standing there going, why don't I feel 
sad for this little boy who has had this horrible life and is now trapped in this house. And and next thing I know, the medium goes, oh, I'm like, can you tell me what happened? She said, he just reached up, put one hand on one side of my, my face and then bit the other cheek. And she's like, I don't think he's human. And it, it turned out that this little boy's spirit was actually possessed by something non-human. So it, it was presenting itself as a little boy. And I'm sitting there going, thinking my intuition isn't working because I'm not sensing a, a sad little boy. Um, and I think it's because I was getting to the core of it, but I was doubting my intuition, so I wasn't able to really, you know, flush out what it was. I hear you, yeah. yeah. Um, but ever since then, I've been, you know... I'll encounter something and I will, instead of letting it present itself to me physically, which it sometimes does, I look at the core of it to get to what it really is. Um, yeah, very wise. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I mean, we've had a variety um, of experiences together, actually, over the years, um, you know, from full-body apparitions to UFO sightings to missing time to... but they. You know, the UFO stuff, it has like an energy signature that you can kind of pick up on. The spiritual or ghostly stuff has an energy signature that, you know, similar but different from the UFO stuff. But we ran into something that, you know, it's, we have no idea what it was. It was the most intense energy we've ever, you know, felt, but we have no clue what it was. I want to get into that after the break, but we're going to take our break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley with our two great guests today, Valerie LaFosso and Mike Stevens. Stick with us. We'll be right back. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnigh.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Wanna take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. We're talking today with empaths and experiencers and UFO researchers Valerie LaFasso and Mike Stevens, very dear friends of ours from the Granite State. And uh, we were talking uh, about, the, Mike brought up something very interesting before the break, the uh, energy signatures of ghosts or ghostly phenomena versus uh, aliens or wh- whatever you you know uh, want to call them. Um now, in, in my own experience, uh, I'm th- thinking particularly back in the 1970s when I was first getting exposed to this stuff, I got the impression that the things that we put labels on, here I go with labels again, were just, there was more to it. For example, in the Bridgeport, Connecticut house in 1974 with the Warrens and all this chaos going on, those things that confronted us were supposed to be demons. They were alien. In a very broad sense of the term, I'm not saying that they were from Pluto or some, you know, but maybe they were, I don't know, but it was just, the, the terms just didn't seem good enough. And I just, I can't get over that. And um, it seems to me that the energy signature, I suppose, now that I never thought of it this way, will maybe tell you what it is you're, you're dealing with. So, I mean, if you wanted to say more about that, I'm not going to stop you. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's the same 
problem like you can identify the energy signature and say all right this feels like this but then you still have to put it in a box and go all right what am i calling this signature you yeah, know, is yeah. This, you know so it's a repeating cycle of the labeling about it it's kind of just how our brains work we need to do it just to function i think yeah well, yeah go ahead it, it does seem like an unfortunate side effect of being human is that we need to label things and we make very broad generalizations you know i've encountered several ets of different species and they're like you know we're not all the same we're as individual as you guys are and you know i think people forget that they want to make it easy to identify and associate and assign characteristics you know and certain behaviors to certain beings and that's just not always the case well our little squirrel brains always go for the shiny object yeah you know, so <laughs> that's sort of the thing now as far as uh, now i remember ben and i attended one of the uh support meetings uh at um that uh, the one that wonderful far out diner in dover new hampshire which is a ufo themed Oh yes, and it says uh, terrific biggest pancakes I ever saw, and uh, we I, I don't know I, I think you were you were there with your daughter yep. uh, Valerie and Mike I think you were there too. Yeah, you were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is uh, goes back a couple of years. Yeah, because uh, we we go back a ways now. All, all <laughs> of us are our whole uh, merry band up there, and uh, it was very interesting to hear people talking about their own experiences. Although they were mostly talking asking us stuff. But uh, actually, we had hoped to go up and just listen to the experiencers talk about what has happened to them. Uh, how do those support groups work, and how would how would people? Because I know there are many listeners who are confused about their own experiences and, and might want support. How do you go about looking for a, a good support group that's going to do you more good than than harm? Do you want to answer that, Mike? Um, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, then the, who don't necessarily live in the Portsmouth, New Hampshire yeah. area. Yeah, I mean, I would look for somebody who's not overselling you straight from the get-go like i have the answers i have the you know there is no like formula or checklist because everybody's had different experiences everybody relates to their experience differently you know how to support somebody who's had these experiences is really individualized on what that person needs um but for what I do, you know, a lot of times, uh, if somebody's new or whatever, is I'll, I'll share something of my experience to be like, look, you're not going to top me as far as being crazy on this stuff, you know. You just make them feel comfortable. And for a lot of them, you know, just knowing that they can be believed is just so huge that, you know, they're not carrying all this weight, like, you know, internal debate, am I crazy, did this happen, did this not happen, just being able to talk about it for, you know, so many of them is just, you know, that's, that is huge, and that's where it starts, and that's before we've even, you know, got into their experience, and again, with the energy signatures and stuff, a lot of experiencers, there's almost some type of synergy when you get us all together, that, you know, I've noticed that, yeah, it's almost self-healing without just being together Um, there's a real bond you know uh it's almost you know it's almost like combat you know looking back on some military experience you know that it it draws you it doesn't matter what race you are how old you are it draws you together you are siblings you know uh, when when you've served especially when, when your life has been in danger you know we have a question from um lauren i believe from what she says she's in connecticut uh ben the question is the second paragraph please Sure. Uh, so Lauren writes to us, what's the difference between um, an empath versus those who feel sorry for others' plights and uh, reach out a helping hand? 
it's all about how you process the energy. Um, I talked a little bit about it before. Empaths are going to be, um, you know, physically and emotionally affected by those encounters. Um, you know, there are a lot of people out there who, I think it's called clairsentient, meaning that they can, you know, sense the, the emotions of other people, um, you know, but it's it's being drained by it. It's, you know, having to really manage the encounters and um, that type of thing that kind of separates the two. This is um, a rather hard-hitting question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want, but do you both have ongoing experiences, whether it be abductions or whatever? I mean, I, certainly as you work with people, you know, you're going to run into uh, various energies and th- entities, whatever, but as far as your own personal Experiences, particularly with uh, what are generally considered ETs, uh, do you have ongoing? I personally don't, um, and I believe it's because part of my challenge being in this lifetime is to learn to live here and not constantly be looking for the mothership to take me out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, Mike. Um, not so much uh, physically lately, um, but you know. And it's another argument within the field of what is an experience because there seems to be this non-physical um, abductions too, where it's the the more the dreamlike states, the where you you know you're traveling and um, all that sort of stuff too. So more on that end, and you know, I don't know if it's because of I'm wrapped up with all this spiritual stuff and, you know, the ghost hunting that my mind's open to that now. So that's easier than flying, a sh- you know, filling up the UFO and flying down here for them. Uh, or save your time this morning coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I think it's, it's fairly slowed down, but then again, I'm so used to it sounds <laughs> yeah. like, that, you know, it's one of those things like if, I'm not expecting it. That's when something will happen. If I go out there and be like, "All right, I'm ready. Show me," you know, I won't see a thing in the sky. Funny how that happens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's actually really interesting. Um, we had Kathleen Martin on a few months ago, uh, talking about her recent sort of research in you know statistics of, of experiencers and whatnot. And one of the questions I asked her was, "Is there any link that you found between the people that have experiences, you know, whether it's, you know, socioeconomic or, or, or whatnot. And she couldn't find a single one. And I think that it's ultimately fascinating that, you know, one of the, there's, there's a sort of a, a personal transformation that occurs. Um, she did make a distinction between, you know, a negative experience that's had versus a personal transformation versus, you know, having, having, you know, a positive experience and a personal sort of deep seated transformation now my my question is this do you find that there is this transformation that happens over time is it immediate and if so is it ultimately to the betterment of the person's life or does it harm them in the long run um from what i've seen from my own personal experiences it was gradual um, the, the transformation was definitely gradual. Um, and actually, I think my encounter was when I was four, and I don't think the transformation actually started until I was um, in, in my 20s. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I would agree. It's definitely gradual. Um, and because you have to be willing to accept it, and it's a lot to uh, yeah. have to take on, because we definitely know people who 
are definitely in that stuck in that fear based category where their experiences were negative and they will never they won't allow themselves not to look at it that way so is it a choice I think so yeah it's to a point I mean I think that they can kind of you have some free will within the range if you're supposed to come to terms with this if you're supposed to help other people with it they're going to push you till you do (laughs) so I mean you do have a choice but you don't (laughs) yeah one of the questions that arises all the time at least for us is you know how do we how do you help help people keep their feet on the ground we had a period where we when we first came on the air uh, in 08 and, and 09, especially when we were on CBS, and we would talk about this multiverse idea and that there are many versions of you and all this stuff. And uh, we were very alarmed when uh, particularly teenagers would write in and say, oh, well, if I get, can just commit suicide, I'll pop up in another world that's better than this one. Whoa, is it not, that's not <laughs> really how it worked. Matter of fact, we did a whole show. Uh, right here on on the teen suicide that that was in 2009 that that really uh, people say was uh, rather hard hitting. So, um, how do you keep your feet on the ground when you know this stuff? When you're empathic? W- when you've had experiences with what appear to be ETs, things of this kind, or, or so? Uh, what? How, how did uh, yeah, a, a extraordinary human experience? It's sometimes called or. Um, yeah, extraordinary. Yeah, I, I, believe, I yeah. believe that's... Yeah. Uh, how do you... What do you tell people, and how do you do it yourself? You know, I think it, it comes down to just recognizing that we are here for the human experience. You know, yes, we're having these amazing spiritual encounters, you know, and, and otherworldly encounters, but we're here to figure it out as a human being. Um, so just remembering that and and keeping the balance between the spiritual and the human um, is, is important. And that's that's the advice I always give, and that's how I move through it. Would you say there's a difference between the spiritual experience and the human experience? Absolutely. Mm. You know, I've seen people who, you know, you get a high almost from some of the spiritual experiences that, you know, they just want to live in that all the time. But you can't do that. There's too many people around you that are living the human experience, and you have to maintain a balance, or it can it can be catastrophic. Then what is the human experience? Well, it's going to be different for everybody. Mm. Um, but a vague definition. Vague definition of a human experience is you know just figuring out how to be a person, hmm. as opposed to a spiritual whatever. <laughs> Well, speaking of spirituality, uh, particularly in the, the Jewish and Christian traditions, there, there's there's a, a great deal of, of um, caution expressed when you have an experience like this, or, or especially if you go and seek it, which is not a, a good idea according to the spiritual fathers of, of both traditions. How do you know something's not coming from your own mind, as opposed to something that, that is an objective experience, or is it both? Well, to quote one of my my favorite literary um, <laughs> quotes is uh, Dumbledore in uh, the Harry Potter series. So, oh, you know, yeah. says just because it's happening inside of your head doesn't mean it's not real. Mm. Yeah, um, and true. I have definitely found that to be the case. You know, when I first started training my intuition, one of the questions my teacher always asked was, you know, you need to f- how do you figure out the difference between imagination and intuition? 
And I struggled with that a lot until I realized my imagination is fueled by my intuition. Um, but I'm a writer. You know, I write mm-hmm. fiction. And I was just going to mention you were a novelist. Too. Yeah, so yeah. that, for me, it goes hand in hand. So it took me a really long time to figure that out um, and to and to really work through that. You know, I think you have to always be questioning things to make sure you know, don't just assume that something is a spiritual experience, that it's intuition. You know, really keep an open mind about it either way. We we advise humility, which is not a word you hear very often in this society, because yeah. humility bespeaks uh, honesty, and honesty about yourself and your own feelings and things of this kind. And that's pretty important in, in discerning what's really going on. But before, we're almost burning up the hour here. Tell us about your books, Valerie, your websites, Granite Sky Services. Uh, just go for it. Okay. Um, so I'm the author of the Tangled Web of Friends series. Um, it is under Valerie LaFasso. The first book is um, Summer Camp. The second book is The Witches of Fishkill Pond. They've done um, good books, too, I must say. I'm, thank I'm, you. I'm hard to please. <laughs> thank so. you. I appreciate that. That means a lot coming from you. Um, I have the third book ready to go um, and a fourth book being written in the series. And it's essentially about um, a teenager named Josie who suddenly, you know, she hits her head and now she's seeing ghosts. And it's it's all about the relationships, how it affects her, how it affects the people around her living and dead. Okay. And those are available on Amazon? Of course. Uh, the first two are in ebook on Amazon right now and Good. Okay. hopefully in print within the next couple months. Okay. And uh, is there a website people can go to? Um, um, not yet. I'm working on that. Um, okay. Right now I can be found on Facebook um, under Valerie LaFasso Writer. Right, well, let us know. Okay. Okay. Mike? Um, yeah, so I have the website, I guess, is the yeah. best way to get a hold of me. And it, it's got a pretty detailed list of, like, what we can do. I mean, um, I tried to break it up and name the services, but basically, if you need any type of help and you don't see it on there, give me a, you know, get in contact. Granite we'll, Sky Service. Yeah, Granite, yeah, yeah. And that's granitesky.org, which is the hard part to remember because okay. I say calm all the time on accident. <laughs> um, and, but then, yeah, if you're, I'm in the process with um, Nomar Slovic, who's an author, um, putting out Granite Skies, which is the story of all my experiences. So yeah, no more, no more has been on the show. So if you are in the Southern New Hampshire, Southern Maine, is a, you are in luck. If you're a confused experiencer, because uh, Mike will be to the rescue, and Valerie's right there too. So I think that'll, that'll really be great. Now, one of the criticisms of the UFO field is that it never goes anywhere. You know, in other words, you know, 19 was way before 1947. I mean, the the, the darn Egyptians were seeing discs in the sky, but. People say, well, we really have made no progress in 50 years. We haven't really seen anything. What progress have we made? Where do you see us going from your point of view, the, the point of view of people who are experiencers and, and uh, what the message to them is, what they can do with it in their lives, and where would you take it? Um, from where I sit, what the progress I've seen has been um, the conversations. More people are talking about it. They're not scoffing at it. And I think that's a really important place to start. You know, people talk about disclosure. And it's like, well, if we have conversations on our level, you know, as a society where we know this stuff is real, then disclosure isn't necessary. We know it's real. We know it's happening. You don't need to hide anything from us. Um, you know, we just we need to keep the conversations going. You know, I really like that because uh, you, well, you've heard us on panels. We've been on panel, a lot of panels together, 
And um, I'm very skeptical about disclosure. Disclosure, for those who don't know, means you know the, the government, presumably, or, or any government, coming forth and saying what they really know about UFOs. And uh, you know, uh, we'll have our learned colleagues will be on the uh, the panel and say, "Well, I think it's going to happen this and then." And they'll get to me. I'll say, "All right, show of hands, who here believes what the government says?" Yeah, exactly. Everybody goes, "Every groans," <laughs> you know. And it's like, you know, if it does happen, I mean, I think it's naive to expect that if it does happen. Our opinion generally doesn't speak for you, Ben. It tends to be that that uh, it'll be inaccurate or incomplete or simply false based on whatever agenda. And people should realize the government is not the government. I mean, there are there are competing agencies. There's turf battles, uh, even among the military. You know, the service to serve. So I mean, you know, there's nobody really who, even if the the president orders disclosure. You're going to be lucky if it happens in any kind of consistency. So I mean, it's 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 a disaster from one end to the other. Well, I mean, I, when we had Philip Mantle on a few weeks ago, I I brought up, you know, because he was, he was talking about he released, you know, the the alien abduct the alien video like autopsy, and he said no one cared, and like you know, he's like no reaction at all, and I yeah, right. I I said, do you think people have the same reaction to disclosure? Will anyone care? And he said, oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, he basically said, you know, I've, I've talked with my colleagues about it, and we don't know. And that's kind of my feeling is, okay, well, you know, it's pretty much accepted to anybody who believes it. I think the last statistic I saw was like 75% of the Earth's population believes that they're extraterrestrials. Like, it's, al- it's almost a yeah. non-question at this point. I mean, just disclosing that, you know, oh, yeah, extraterrestrials exist. It's like, okay, cool, great, what are you going to do about it? So this this is kind of a leads me into my my final question, which is with all all this being said, you know the modern world in which we live, uh, especially here in the West, is incredibly solipsistic. Um, in in that you know we kind of live within our own bubbles, and you know whatever anybody else does, you know who cares, you know it doesn't really exist because it's through my experience that I see everything, right? And it's reinforced um, by technology. It's reinforced by, you know, sort of this societal attitude we have, which is, you know, only my experience matters. So as experiencers, just from observing over the last few years, it's almost a community that's built up where people do have a shared experience in a way that's almost society transcendent, you know, in, in, in a sense. Um, now that being that being said, do you find that this tight knit community that you're in is is sort of on the fringes? Is it is it meant to kind of reinvigorate society, transform it? What do you think? Um, yeah, definitely transforming. You know, it's 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 all about making those conversations okay. You know, being open to having those conversations more. You know, and making the connections with the people where you suddenly do care about their reality as well as your own. You know, we've, I don't know how many times we've seen people, you know, that are complete strangers sitting in the same support group and they have a shared experience and next thing you know, they're best friends, you know, and they're like, like they never, you know, like they grew up together, you know. It's 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 pretty amazing to watch that happen and I would definitely say it's, you know, transformational. Yeah, it is. And I mean, it's, you watch you know, you know, people tell other people's stories, but they don't, you didn't, they're telling their own story, but it just interlocks so well that, you know, there's mm-hmm. this instant, like, I understand. Um, and 
with that type of synergy and stuff, I think they're, you know, back to the what's ufology done, you know, we're still arguing about nuts and bolts. Is there a physical craft? And for these experiencers, they obviously know the answer. They, But now they're stuck in this position where we're still arguing about could it really be a craft or not. They need help, which they can't get because we can't even admit this is happening. Um, and then, you know, from there, a lot of stuff can happen. Like you mentioned, the suicide, there's depression, there's, you know, self-medicating problems because they're just trying to get through the day. I mean... I think it's, you know, it's pretty easy to kind of just forget about the person in the whole equation, right? Because mm. you're so busy trying to prove the phenomena, you know, you forget about the person it's affecting. I mean, the same thing happens in the ghost world. Everyone's so busy focusing on, oh, is, 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 there, is there a parasite here? Is this, is this, you know, whatever. And they're focusing so much on that that they forget about the people that are involved with it. And the experience... Is, ju- is just as important as the experiencer. Yeah, I mean, our whole slogan for Granite Sky is people not proof. I, I don't care if you can prove it. I don't I don't need the evidence. I don't need to see it. You don't need to see it. You know what you need to do is get through the day, you know. It, we have this very cause and effect. Our, and at the end of the day, I don't care if somebody can come out and prove 100% there's no such thing as extraterrestrials. It doesn't matter. There, something is still causing this effect on people and that's what needs to be looked at <laughs> mm. now as we're coming out of the end here but I wanted to work in one more question that's a little different from what we've been talking about and it's based kind of on last week's show we did a really interesting show with Diane Tessman on UFOs uh, and their occupants if any as time travelers and this has come up uh, suspiciously frequently I think in, in the Rendlesham case and many others so the question would be, have you ever run into any entities or, or, or anything in the UFO field or, or anywhere in any of your experiences that would involve what is commonly referred to as time travel? I have not personally, but I believe that it happened at least a portion of, of experiences. Mm. It, for whatever reason, it resonates with me and feels feels like it's happening. Yeah. Mike? Yeah, um, not so much personally, but experience with it but yeah no I, I think it's definitely within the realm of possibility and probably a good place to start um, <laughs> yeah well we, we get into uh, the nature of time travel you know is it back and forth or is it sideways that kind of thing so we had a, we had a good discussion last week so um, what, what does the future hold for both of you personally I mean are you working on some more books yep. Mike uh, we're going to get you into print somehow here Ooh. Yeah, yeah, we're, you know, we're working on that, um, you know, and another just tie-in is, you know, Val's going to be the editor for it, I mean, so we, you know, we have to have bigger discussions figured out, she Great. might end okay. up being our publisher. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool, we'll keep us posted on that. Okay, we got four minutes. Okay, I guess uh, we're, we're going to have to move to our announcements here. Uh, give us your website one more time, I know you're still working yeah, on it, Facebook. Yeah, I'm on Facebook at Valerie LaFosso Writer. Very good. And uh, grandesky.org. Outstanding. Okay, man, take it away. Alrighty, so on April 3rd, 4th, and 5th, we'll be at the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine, along with Valerie and Mike here. Uh, the first two days of the event, Friday and Saturday, we'll be at the Community Center at 120 Rogers Road for uh, Sunday. We'll be, uh, Sunday the 5th, we will be at a different location, which is the Lions Club at 117 State Road for the rest of the event, uh, which will include a live broadcast of the show between noon and 1. 
Uh, all proceeds from this event go to help support the historic Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Mass., and toward the upkeep of veterans' gravesites there. And along with ourselves, speakers, almost all of whom you know from the show, uh, will include, of course, as we said, uh, Valerie and Mike, uh, also our favorite guest co-host, Shane Searway, Bill Brock of the Discovery Channel's Monsters Underground, ancient sites expert Dennis Stone, Bigfoot hunter Dave McCulloch, reincarnation researcher Stephen Sacklarius, uh, researcher and broadcaster Tim Weisberg, and uh, a lot of other people. It's going to be really great. Order tickets at EssexCountyGhostProject.org. And naturally, we'll be back at the Exeter UFO Festival on Labor Day weekend. That's September 5th and 6th as speakers and do our fifth annual live broadcast from the historic Exeter Town Hall on uh, Sunday the 6th at noon. The event is sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club to raise funds for local children's charities. Now you'll be there too, right? I believe Exeter, so. Yeah, Exeter, yeah. yeah. We're like the New England Patriots <laughs> of the paranormal <laughs> here. We're always together, yeah. yeah. There will be other events throughout the year, including the Greater New England UFO Conference in Massachusetts on Columbus Day weekend. Uh, I'm, I have been honored to be the keynote speaker there, I guess in honor of my, I might call the work anniversary, 50 years in the paranormal. You're so old. I'm told You're me. the MC now. <laughs> yes, uh, you know you've uh, reached the uh, pinnacle of uh, age when you do that. Anyway, also in October, look for us on the Travel Channel. I uh, can't say any more about that right now, but there it is. You can check out our books, including Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Have Never Heard of. Uh, and uh, now, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist's Parallel World, Poltergeist's Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God. There's a lot of P's in there. Uh, you hate alliteration, don't you? No, I like alliteration. Uh, There's just a lot. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of it. So they're available from online retailers and some stores, but for autographed copies, please visit the online bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com. And if you miss the live show, you can always go to BehindTheParanormal.com to the archives. Some of the shows have been reposted there. We had trouble with the site previously, but you can find pretty much all of them back to 20, the beginning of 2010 on uh, all the major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, and certainly YouTube as well. Yes. So uh, please be so kind if you are listening to us on Apple iTunes or on uh, please give us a, a, a rating and a review. Uh, it helps us grow our, our sort of opportunities on there and, uh, you know, helps the show. And also check out especially the uh, charity page on our website. We have uh, usacares.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, uh, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero. Also the Milk Fund locally here in Woonsocket. We check these. Uh, we know all the people who run these, and we, we really check these out before we endorse these charities. So, Ben, what do we have for next week? So next week we have even more live guests, which is... Very impressive. So on Sunday, March 15th, we'll have in studio uh, Willie Hassel and Lynn Nickerson, producers of a new documentary about the haunting of the World War II naval vessel, the USS Salem. And we leave you this afternoon with a thought from none other than Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. Um, Well, we have like 15 seconds, so... 15 seconds. (laughs) Do you have any closing thoughts besides Socrates? Uh, Well, yeah, I like Rumi, you know, his uh, his, uh, theology of beauty from the 13th century is just wonderful. That uh, caps off our our discussion of uh, UFOs and uh, experiencers here. So anyway, um, can I close the show now, Ben? Yes, please. All right, Uh, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time on... Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of 
Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben 